We're in a series on the last days in the world to come. And uh, there, there are a lot of people that really get into prophecy. And they love to uh, try to figure out what's going on in the newspapers and make that fit prophecy. Uh, for most, in most cases, uh, that's an exercise in futility. Um, uh, and usually indicates that both the teachers and the students know very little about the scriptures. What they're doing is just sewing verses together, uh, mostly out of context, and then tying it into something. So we've been trying to look at this subject. We're going to get into the actual sequence of events, but I wanted you to have the backdrop in the background so that you would know what is going on with this. So we looked at the creation and its purpose, the idea of the world before the flood, the present world where all of this is going on, and the world to come, uh, as we looked at Peter's writings on that. Then we looked at the creation of man, uh, our being brought together by the dust of the ground and the breath of God, and death separates those two things, and then resurrection reunites them uh, in an eternal state. We looked at the covenants, uh, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic, Davidic, and the New Covenants. And then we looked at the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, the kingdom from heaven, instead of this dichotomy uh, separating heaven and earth. Then we looked at judgment and salvation. Uh, That was a rough uh, message. Um, And then last week we looked at the three heavens and the, the, the three hells uh, and the intermediate state uh, where where the dead are, trying to get rid of some of this craziness that when people die they 're dancing on streets of gold in heaven that that's that 's a, a blurring of scriptures and and not found actually in the text uh, today we want to look at a term that 's really important called the day of the Lord um, and as we just read the first uh, text, you can see that some of this is not going to be positive. Um, I suggested that we are given enough information to know when the events are immediate, but not enough to predict them in advance. Jesus said he doesn't know when the return when he will return. The angels of heaven don't know. Therefore, the prophets don't know and the apostles don't know. And that means most of the pastors and the prophecy teachers today don't know um, because they're way down on the food chain in that context. So, Uh, we're going to look today at this concept called the day of the Lord. The term is also called the day of God in the scriptures. It's also called the day of Christ. It's called the day of the Lord Jesus. And it's used in general in scripture to describe the culmination of this present age, this period between the flood of Noah and the kingdom to come. And uh, it is a, a day of restoration and rectific- uh, uh, rectification of the present age and the world, where God will be fully manifest and glorified, and all the promises connected to the covenants will be brought into their fullness, into full operation. And this will be done for the purpose of God's glory and wisdom, and His purpose being seen in the creation, among the nations, and by the angels. And it will be when the holy God and the holy people and the holy land are in their full manifestation. 
And that kingdom will be the ultimate link between this present world when it is perfected and then removed so that the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem can uh, be put into place. So, we're going to look at it, but I want you to notice that the primary bulk of the scriptures related to the day of the Lord are not pleasant. And uh, there's a reason for that. It's because this present age is not present. And when something is wrong and you have to fix it, the process of fixing that is often not pleasant. I mean, we go through surgeries for doctors to fix something and nobody enjoys the surgeries. But it ultimately sets things right again. And that's, that's the idea of the day of the Lord. Now, the text that we just had read to us, I'd like you to turn to, it's the book of Amos chapter 5. Uh, the book of Amos is uh, a largely unknown text, uh, just not read a lot in, in the churches, uh, but it is read around uh, the time of Lent, and it is read uh, at times when judgment is addressed. And in these verses between 18 and um, 20, in the context of God bringing forth His glory, and He's telling them, you need to seek Me so you can live, uh, and what they're doing is they're living their own life and basically saying, gee, I can't wait for the day of the Lord. You know, I'm getting all the gravy I can get in this life and it's going to even be better in the next life is kind of the attitude. And in that context, he says this, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him. Or he goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? Now we're going to see a duality in the day of the Lord. We're going to see a, a concept of darkness and a thief in the night and all of those terrible things. And we're going to see the light and the salvation of the Lord, which is also part of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is going to be for those who are walking their own way, even if they make a profession of faith, a terrible day. And for those who are suffering and longing for God to make things right, it will be a day of great glory and rejoicing. And that's the context of these texts. I don't have time to go into... Every verse of the scripture that talks about this time period uses a lot of terms. So I'm only addressing those that specifically talk about the day of the Lord. And we're going to primarily spend time in the book of Joel and in First and First uh, and Second Thessalonians. I mean, Second Thessalonians. The reason for that is that there we can look at more broad biblical texts, so that you can see that I'm not pulling these other passages out of context. But first, a little brief Bible drill. So move ahead in your Bible to the book of Zephaniah, not the book of Zechariah. You've gone too far. Zephaniah, just about three books forward. Zephaniah chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 14 to 18. God talks about his judgment on Judah, on Israel, his people. 
And he says, near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. It is the warrior cries out bitterly. Uh, a day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring, bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in, it, in the fire of his jealousy. And he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Wow, you don't see these verses on people's walls. You know what I mean? What's, let me tell you a verse that God gave me, right? You, you know how Christians talk. You don't see these on t-shirts, right? We take the Tony Robbins verses and put those on there to, to, to motivate and encourage ourselves. But we don't look at, at, at these texts that say, maybe I'm not excited about the day of the Lord coming. Maybe I ought to get ready. I want you to turn to Isaiah, turn back a little ways, Isaiah chapter 2, now at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 2 is a great passage. And we sing this passage all the time. Whenever we come to a holy day, we sing, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And a lot of times, people don't get the context of that. That is not a song for Israel to sing. This is a song for Gentiles. If you look at chapter 2, it says, It will come about in the last days, verse 2, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it and the peoples will come and say, come let us go. This is the nations that are going to come up in this kingdom of God. They're come up to learn the Torah and to worship God and to make the sacrifices at the temple and all the things the church says is done. But will be happening. Now in that same chapter... When we get to verse 12, the Lord says, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. It will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty mountains, against the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against the ships of Tarshish, against the beautiful craft. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of man will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols will completely vanish. Verse 19 says that 
Men will go into the caves and the rocks and the holes in the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. In that day men will cast away to the moles and the bats their silver and their gold which they made for themselves. And they will go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils. Why should he be esteemed? In a culture that makes everything about self-esteem and about the engrandizement of mankind, we live very near a place called Hollywood where every week they're giving themselves awards for blowing their nose in front of a camera or doing something else as if that's real life. The arrogance of man since Babel is an arrogance that thinks, boy, people are lucky I'm here and God's lucky I'm here. And in the church, we're doing the same thing. We need to be careful of that. So now that we have looked at the prophets telling us The day of the Lord is about judgment and about fixing things and not about man. It's his day, not our day. We can see in the context of Joel's prophecy what's going on. So turn with me to the book of Joel. We're we're going to pick it up at uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And then I'm going to try to go uh, briefly through the next like two and a half chapters, quickly, um, just making brief mention, because the text really speaks for itself, and if we read it in context, it makes plenty of sense. So, in Joel chapter 1, verse 15, God says, Alas, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of our God, the seed shrivel under their clods, the storehouses are desolate, the barns are torn down, the grain is dried up, how the beasts groan, the herds of cattle wander aimlessly, there is no pasture for them, the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, the flame has burned all the trees of the field, and the beasts of the field pant for you, and the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devastated the pastures of the wilderness." We're going to see when we look at the sequence that as the day of the Lord begins to dawn, all of creation is going to suffer. It is going to be a terrible suffering, and it's going to be a suffering that you and I don't want to be around. And this is one of the reasons why the church created the doctrine of the rapture. We get to disappear when all this stuff happens. Not a biblical doctrine, not true. These are God's people who are crying out to Him in the midst of this suffering. So, let's look at chapter 2 and hear the message of God to His people. This message is primarily to Israel, but it includes those of us who have come alongside them through the Messiah. Sound a shofar in Zion, and sound a holy alarm on my mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloud and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so is 
There is a great and mighty people. There's never been anything like it, nor will there ever be anything like it again to the years of many generations. You will hear Jesus echo this in a couple of weeks when we look at his uh, Olivet Discourse. A fire consumes before them, and behind them is a flame burning. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness is behind them, and nothing will escape. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As the noise of the chariots, they leap on the top of the mountains, like a crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for a battle. Before them the people are in anguish, their faces turn pale. What are they talking about? Talking about the army of God coming when the Lord returns to take control of this earth. And it will be a scorched earth policy. It will happen at the beginning of the kingdom and again at the end of the kingdom when the entire earth will be destroyed by fire. They run like mighty men. They climb the walls like soldiers. They march in line and they don't deviate from their paths. They don't crowd each other. They march everyone in his paths and they burst through the defenses. They don't break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter into the windows like a thief. Before them the earthquakes, the heaven trembles, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. You're going to see that theme over and over again. The sun turning to darkness, the moon turning to blood, and the stars falling from heaven. The Lord utters His voice before the army. Surely His camp is very great, for strong is He who carries out God's word. The day of the Lord is awesome, great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So this text gives us the battle of the Lord. You can almost hear, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord with that battle uh, of the Lord. This is not going to be a, oh great, the Lord is back. How's it going? It's going to be a shaking and a devastation as the armies of God come in and say, enough with the creation. God's going to take over. And the day of the Lord will set things straight. We don't usually get told that. But the prophets have made it clear. So, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. And return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and He is compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep before the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord. And do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? What's going to happen is there's going to be persecution of believers. Jews and Christians are going to see something that makes the Holocaust look like a Boy Scout camp. 
And while the earth is shaking and God's wrath is about to be poured out on the earth, we're going to be the object of their hatred, which is what happened to Israel. As God put his, his curses on, e- on Egypt, what did Egypt do? They turned their wrath on the people of God. And that's what's going to happen. And we're, if we live at this time, we're going to have to endure it. So we pick it up. Notice God says, turn to me, I'm compassionate. I, I, you don't have to face my judgment. You can have my mercy. But you have to come to me. You have to turn from your ways. And you have to trust and obey me. You can't just say things with your words. Isaiah said, these people are near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our behavior shows whether we're following God, not our mouth. So then he says, the Lord, verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and have pity on his people. There's the promised land and Israel. He has scattered them. Across the earth. And the church has risen up falsely and said, God's done with Israel. They are his people. They are the chosen. They are suffering for their disobedience. But he has not cast them off. As Paul says, has, have they stumbled so as yet to fall? God forbid. They are his people. And he will bring them back. And those who have persecuted them will be judged with this army. That he's talking about. The Lord will answer and say to his people. Behold I'm going to send you grain. New wine and oil. And you will be satisfied in full with them. I will never again make you a reproach. Among the nations. I will remove the northern army far from you. And I will drive it to a parched and desolate land. And its vanguard to the eastern sea. And its rear guard to the western sea. All of those descriptions. Is pushing it down to the Dead Sea. And to the Mediterranean. And up in Lebanon. And he's basically saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encamp. Around my people on my holy land. And the stench will arise and its foul smell will come up for it has done great things. Do not fear land. He's talking about the land of Israel. Rejoice and be glad for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear beasts of the field in my land. Or the for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. And the tree has borne its fruit. And the fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. Rejoice, sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for He has given you the early rain for your vindication. And He has poured down upon you the rain, the early and the latter rains as before. Threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow, and the new wine and the oil. And I will make up up to you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, and the creeping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the gnawing locusts. My great army which I sent among you, you will be... Have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of your God. Who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. Not the church. And that I am the Lord your God. And there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. Now what is God saying? I'm going to remember Israel. I'm going to bring them back into the land. I'm going to bless that land in front of all the nations. So that they will know that I have never turned my back on my people. I have corrected them for their wrongs. 
I have taken away their sin, and now I will make them the head and not the tail, as Deuteronomy says. Then he says about them, and this is a passage you do know from Joel. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. There's that pattern again. We're going to see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see that in the teachings of Jesus. This, the darkening of the sun, the moon turning to blood, and, and the stars falling. I'm going to talk more in detail about that next week. It will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So the coming of the Lord will be preceded with this really rough judgment and with the, the promises being fulfilled to God's people. And the nations that have abused Israel and the nations that have given Christians difficulty will be judged at that time when the Lord establishes his kingdom. Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land, and they have cast lots for my people and trade of the boy for the price of a harlot, and they've sold a girl for the price of a drink of wine. Uh, so I say to you, Tyre and Sidon and the regions of Philistia. Now, Tyre and Sidon and Philistia is the Gaza Strip and Lebanon. It's the area around Israel where all of the terrorists are giving them fits. And God says, are you rendering me a recompense? Trying to drive my people out of the land? If you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold and brought my precious treasures into your temples and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, the Westerners, in order to remove them far from their territory. I'm going to arouse them from the place where they have been sold and return your recompense on your head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of, the, of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabians. To a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the right mighty men. Let all the soldiers come near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations. Gather yourselves. It's God saying, come on. Bring it on. When I bring my army into Israel, go ahead, world. Let's see what you can do. The God who scattered Babel is going to bring judgment on this world. Let the nations be aroused. Let them come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. The harvest is right. And Revelation talks about there will be blood 
up to the horse's bridle when this happens, and the birds of the field are going to eat their carcasses. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. There it is again. The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for His people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. And you will know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem will be holy and the stranger will pass through it no more. Man, when the the Lord comes back, He's going to bring that army ready to destroy the evil from this world. He will raise the dead. Uh, he will gather Israel. He will bring us with him. And we'll go running behind those, that army. Yeah, right, great. Safe and protected. And he will bring vengeance upon the earth. In that day, the mountain will drip with sweet wine. And the hills will flow with milk. And all the brooks of Judah will flow with water. And a spring will go out of the house of the Lord. We know from Zechariah that water will flow down to the Mediterranean and down to the Dead Sea. Living waters. Egypt will become a waste. And Edom will be like a desolate waste. You know, Egypt south of there. And Edom is west where Jordan is. Because of the violence done to the sons of Judah... In, in whose lands they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem for all generations. And I will avenge their blood. Which I have not yet avenged. For the Lord dwells in Zion. That's quite a text. That's the Old Testament version. We need to look at the New Testament version. Which includes us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 5, 5, Paul makes it clear, I'll let you look those up later, Uh, Paul makes it clear that these early Gentiles understood what the day of the Lord was. For example, in chapter 5 of uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, he tells them to remove somebody from the congregation for the destruction of the flesh so that the soul may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, there is a judgment of temporal judgment so we won't receive eternal judgment. And God will do that, but we have to, we can't allow certain, and these people were doing habitual, consistent sins, bringing reproach on the name of Christ, and he says, get them out of the congregation. Now, he's not saying that because he hates them. He's saying that because they need to wake up. So that they won't be destroyed with the coming of the Lord. It's a love call. It's not a punishment. In Philippians chapter 1, the Lord talks about this. uh, Paul talks about this same idea about how we should live. Philippians 1, 6-11 I am confident of this very thing, 
that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart. Both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me, and God is my witness. How I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray that your love may abound still more, and more in real knowledge and in discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. Blameless means you're obeying the commandments. Until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Which comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Paul said we've been called out of this world. Because this world has had it. And we have a different way to walk. We're to walk kingdom manners. And we're to act in that way. Now with that as our context. I want to look at some passages in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians about the day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul starts this by telling them, you know what God has told us, that we are to be holy. And so the will of God is that we possess our vessel in holiness, not in our lustly passions. So we need to knock off the fornicating and we need to knock off the drunkenness and we need to knock off the living like the world and going by our passions. We gave you those commandments, you know that, because you've got a, you've got a path to walk as children of light. And in that context, he says, I don't want you to worry about those who have died. Because they're going to be raised with us when we're gathered with the Lord. They're doing just fine. You're the one you need to be concerned about. And that's the context of chapter 4 when he says, we will be caught up with them at the sound of the shofar. So with that in mind, I want you to look at chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Now as to the time and the epics, brothers, you have no need that anything be written to you. Not happy with that verse. Because they knew what was going on. We haven't been taught. So we have more difficulty with this. You know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. That's that judgment of the day of the Lord. Now look at what Paul says. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light. And sons of the day. We are not of the night. And of darkness. So when this thing happens. There will be those who get it. Because they are walking in the light. As he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us from all sin. Because we are walking in his path. Or the people who are walking with the world's path. Are going to take it in the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. It's his illustration. All this stuff happens in darkness. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope of our salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, in that case he means alive or dead, 
We will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In other words, he says what the writer to the Hebrews says. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Get together, provoke one another unto love and good works. And all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Because it's going to be a day of darkness. But we're not of darkness. Now having said that then, I want to have you turn to 2 Thessalonians. And we'll look real briefly at uh, chapter 2. I want to pick it up so that you get the, uh, uh, the context in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, After all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. You know where he got that? Joel. He's talking about those texts. When that army comes in. It's only right. This is not... When we get angry at somebody... You all know this. Some of us guys know this better than others. You can get so angry that you're not reasonable. You think you're reasonable. But you're not reasonable. But God never gets angry to be unreasonable. His anger is just. And He's describing a just anger. That's scary. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all those who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. In other words, we're waiting for that time. Now, Having said that, I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Very important chapter with regard to the end of time. Now we request, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to Him. You guys by now should understand that gathering. We have looked at all the texts about Israel being gathered. They're going to be gathered out of the nations where they were and brought back. They're going to be raised from the dead, gathered and brought back. We are also going to be raised from the dead, gathered with them. And if we're alive, we'll be changed and gathered with them. We're not going to heaven. We're going to Jerusalem. Okay? That gathering together is what all the prophets said. He's not talking about a rapture here. That you be not quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Oh no, the day of the Lord is here. You guys better watch and sell your house. This kind of nonsense goes on all the time. Every time somebody internationally hiccups, the prophecy guys are out with their charge. Right? It's just nonsense. Let no one deceive you, for it will not happen unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, I want you to catch two things. The Lord isn't coming back and the day of the Lord won't happen. There's at least two things that have to happen. The first one is there has to be a major falling away 
from the truth. And the second one is, there will be a false Messiah establishing a world kingdom that will, that those people who have fallen away from the truth will think is great. So I want you to see that in the context of what he's saying. This one of lawlessness, this Torahless man, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. We see this in the book of Revelation when the beast rises up and the false prophet, the second beast, rises up. I'll talk about it next week in more detail and gets all the people to worship him. Oh, this military leader, this guy will be the the savior of the world because he's going to bring the world all together. We're all going to hold hands and say, we are the world. We're going to redistribute all the things. Everything's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. People say, I love it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be heaven on earth. No, it's going to be hell on earth. And those who will naysay it, who know the truth, will be persecuted for that testimony. Boy, I wish the rapture was true. He says, do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. John says, gang, you've heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now there are many Antichrists. Okay? Every time a Hitler shows up, Every time a Nebuchadnezzar shows up, we get a picture of what it's going to look like, but it's only a limited one. Think when one is able to do this over the whole world. And the world will let them because we want peace and safety. Peace and safety. And when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will fall on them, the scripture says. He is the one that, that will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by his appearance of coming. The one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. This is why I keep telling you to quit looking at signs and symbols and miracles and other nonsense because that's going to be what will deceive the elect and pull them away, not the elect, but almost the elect, and bring them away from God. He comes with all deception and wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. Now I want you to look at verse seven, verse 11 because this is critical. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now you know as well as I that most people think, if all of a sudden God started doing all the things that the Bible says He's going to do, everybody would turn to God. It doesn't work that way. That's why the Scriptures in Revelation says, He was filthy, stay filthy. You're righteous, stay righteous. Because you remember, you remember Pharaoh? What happened with Pharaoh? Hardened his heart. Hardened his heart. Hardened his heart. 
And then finally, it was too much. And he said, okay. And God said, no, no, no. Keep your heart hard. Because you're damned. Boy, this last minute, I'll turn, I'll turn to God later. I'll, you know, I'm going to, while I'm young, I'm going to be reckless. And then when I get older, I'll settle down. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. Verse 13, but we always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, a salvation that shows holiness by means of the spirit and faith in the truth or the word of God. It is for this he called you through the gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions that we taught you, whether by word of mouth, when we taught it orally, or by these epistles. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. In other words, we're to grow in grace and in knowledge towards uh, the kingdom principles. That's what John says. He says, how do we know we're the children of God? Because we believe in Jesus, we love the brethren and we obey his commandments. He doesn't say, just because we believe in Jesus. But I don't love the brethren and I don't obey his commandments. Well, I love the brethren, but I don't believe in Jesus and I don't obey his commandments. I obey his commandments, but I don't love the brethren and I don't believe in Jesus. It's a package. Your words are meaningless. Faith without works is dead. Being alone, James says. So, one last verse and then I'll shut up. We're back to Second Peter, where we started early in this series, talking about the old heavens, the current heavens, and the new heavens. In Second Peter chapter 3, he says, Know this first, verse 3, In the last days mockers will come in their mocking, following their own lusts, saying, Where's the promise of His coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, everything's the same as it was in the creation. Remember, it's like the days of Noah. They eat and drink in marriage. Oh, it's, it'll be all right. It's, you know, it's, it's no big deal. And suddenly it came on them as a thief. So he says, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and righteousness? I've always told you the commandments are two types, being holy and being good. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are looking for these things, be diligently, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Okay? Peace, spotless, and blameless. What is peace? As much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is loving the brethren. It's the third great commandment. Spotless, 
holy, separated from the world. Blameless, righteous, according to the commandments. Get about becoming who we're going to become. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul. Now what he's saying is, if the Lord is waiting, it's not so you can say, hey, i got time to horse around. He's waiting for others to come, stay on track. So he says in verse 17, You therefore, brethren, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray.